My, my name is Andy, if I haven't met you before, um, and I'm, my, my role at the church actually is I'm the pastoral intern, um, and so this is, I think, my third time getting to teach on a Sunday, um, and actually normally I'm up here where Caleb is kind of his role as the worship leader, um, and so it, it turns out that I kind of requested to preach this Sunday because of the kind of the timing of where we are in the book of Romans, um, because it's very relevant kind of to my role as a worship leader. Um, and I, as I was thinking, thinking about uh, just the topic of being a worship leader, it, it immediately reminded me of this interview I heard from the lead singer of this band I really like. Actually, the song that was just playing, I think it was their song, King's Kaleidoscope. Uh, good band if you like music. Um, but uh, he, in the interview, he once said that Kanye West is a great worship leader. And I don't know <laughs> if any of you guys are like, internally at least, being like, what does, like, what? Um, but for me, I was very much like, what are you saying right now? Um, because, I mean, what Kanye does is very different from, you know, standing on a stage in a church, you know, like leading songs to God, right? Um, but the more I thought about it and the more he explained his, his quote, right, or, yeah, what he was saying about Kanye, um, I kind of realized, like, we are trying to do the same thing in, in one sense. We're both trying to direct people's, um, like, focus and their adoration and devotion to something, and my job is to direct you guys to God, um, but, and I, I, I would say that a lot of the time, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time, Kanye, his job is to direct people to him, um, and I don't, you know, this is not like a critique of his character or anything, but he's had a lot of public statements and kind of actions that kind of reflect a little more of like an egotist. Um, I, I, I heard a quote recently from him, and it was, uh, what is it? My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. That, that was Kanye West. So, you know, he, he's Kanye. Kanye's Kanye. You know, you can't change him. He is who he is. Um, but he's, he's even, I, I think there was a, an album titled Yeezus. His nickname is Yeezy, and so he called himself Yeezus, like Jesus, because he's, you know, he sees himself as that influential, that worthy of people's affection, their devotion. Um, so, again, not, not critiquing him. He is who he is. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I would argue that both he and I are worship leaders, and hopefully I'm effective worship leader. You know, I mean, you guys get to be the judge of that. But, um, you know, I, I think he's effective in having people worship him in a way. Um, and, you know, that term worship, especially if you, you know, haven't been in church for a long time, might seem a little, like, strange or, you know, antiquated, a very old term. Um, but, you know, for, I guess, for the sake of today and just for the, in general, I would say that a definition of worship that we can use is words or actions that uh, are directed at someone or something that you view to be worthy. Um, and I would argue that anyone with influence can be a worship leader. Influence on a platform can give you the opportunity to lead people to worship someone or something. It could be anything. Like, it could be a car. It could be, you know, it could be shoes, you know, like... <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so the reason I, I mention all this, because the passage we're getting to today, Romans 12, 1 to 2, um, it's, it, it portrays worshiping God as more than just any one type of thing, one action. Um, it, it's, it's every part of our lives, and that every, we have the ability to give every part of our lives to God. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the text this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you so much um, just for this time, uh, just the opportunity to, to have studied your word, God, and, and to now um, just share um, what you've shown me. And I, I just pray that 
um, this would truly be something that is encouraging God, that's challenging, um, that you would speak truth and wisdom, um, uh, and that it might be transformative for our lives as we pursue you. Um, so I just thank you so much, and I, I pray that you would speak through me, in spite of me, whatever it takes. Um, uh, I pray that uh, you would just be in the hearts of everyone. You would uh, just get, uh, be able to speak into their minds and their hearts, God. Um, so I just thank you so much. Praise the name of your son. Amen. All right, I should get this timer started. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm just going to start by reading the passage, and it's Romans 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So just two verses today. Um, so this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Christians in the early Roman church. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So um, we've been in Romans for, I think, well over a year at this point, um, but just a, a brief synopsis in case you haven't been here for a lot of that. Romans is this long letter from the Apostle Paul, who's an early church leader. He started a lot of the earliest churches. Um, and he's writing to specifically Christians in Rome. That's why it's called the letter to the Romans. Um, and it, it's kind of a diverse collection of people in the sense that a lot of them come from a Jewish background. So they were both culturally and religiously Jewish. And now they're part of a different religion. They still carry a lot of that culture and their religious influence with them. But then there's also a bunch of Gentiles, aka non-Jews. It's, it's really just a, a very umbrella term for people that aren't Jewish. Um, and so he's speaking to this diverse group that, you know, they have their, all their own kind of quirks and, and characteristics as a collective. Um, and specifically now, where we are in Romans, at the beginning of Romans 12, this is the very beginning of, I would say, essentially the last major half of the book of Romans, um, chapters 12 through 16. Um, and one thing that kind of clues us into that is really the word therefore. He says, I appeal to you therefore. Um, and so it seems like a small word, and it's easy to overlook it, but it does give us this sense of like, okay, he's, Paul is making a, kind of an argument or a case given what he said in chapters 1 through 11. And chapters 1 through 11 are these very information-heavy, conceptual um, chapters, which, I mean, can, can kind of feel overwhelming or kind of just kind of really heady at times. Um, but what he's about to do is make this transition. Now, he's closed out that major segment. Um, and he's starting this section of the last section of the of the cha of the book, which is very um, instructional. It's very very practical, um, and so now uh, we can look at what 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 is happening in these two verses. Basically, let's do like a quick breakdown. Um, so the first thing is Paul makes an appeal um, to Roman Christians, and his appeal is to present their bodies as a living, holy, pleasing sacrifice to God, which is their spiritual worship. Um, and then as soon as he gives that appeal, he then gives two, I would say, pastoral commands or exhortations. Um, the exhortations is a word used throughout the Bible. Um, yeah, and so he uh, gives these two exhortations, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Um, and I think it's really helpful to note that he, the, the fact that he phrases these things as appeals and exhortations, um, it's directly opposite to something like a demand or a threat. Um, he's not coming at them with this sense of like pride and ego, but he's coming at them um, from a place of humility and selfless concern. Um, and you know, given his reputation, he very well could have been like, 
you know, these are my accolades. This is what I've done for God's kingdom. Um, you should just listen to me. He could have phrased it much more bluntly, much less pastorally. But notice he, he addresses them as brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't say, as the apostle Paul, do this. Um, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Um, so I think um, knowing that he's already built this reputation as compassionate, a wise, and very trustworthy leader, um, that's really helpful in both for his original audience and for us to realize, oh, he's not saying this because he's not giving some arbitrary command because he has authority. He's coming from a place of selfless concern. Um, so then why is he asking these things exactly? Um, again, the therefore actually gives us some clue as to why. Um, and I would say, you know, it therefore kind of points us back to the entirety of Romans leading up to 12, um, first of all, in the sense that, you know, the main points that he makes. Romans, Romans is this letter that um, really kind of illustrates the character of God, um, the, the nature of humankind, and kind of the relationship that we, we have before Christ and after Christ. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, pointing to the fact that God is merciful and gracious and just, um, and that he has made a way by faith for us to have restored relationship with him. So that's the main, kind of the main arc of Romans up to this point. Um, but not only that, um, Heath, and Heath taught yes, uh, last week on Romans 11, um, the very end of Romans 11, and two things that he established was that mercy in and of itself is a withholding of deserved punishment, um, and that the end of Romans 11 is actually like a song of praise from Paul. Uh, kind of a song of praise that is drawn out or kind of elicited by Paul's contemplation and meditation on the good mercies of God. Um, and so, yeah, then Paul specifically says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So by the mercies of God, he says that specifically as one of his reasons for these appeals um, and exhortations. Um, and he's addressed them in chapters 9 and chapters, chapter 11, as I've said. Um, and you know, at, at this point, it's really, I think, important to remember who, like, Paul's story, Paul's story as a Christian. Um, he was a guy who signed off on the murder, of, the execution of countless Christians. So, of course, no one in their right mind would think naturally, oh, let's make him a leader of the church, and God's going to really love this guy. But that's what God did. God, God came in a very supernatural experience to Paul and confronted him. Um, and, and Paul's heart and mind was changed instantly. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I can't imagine in his own, I mean, he, he's, he's referenced it, I think, through earlier parts of Romans and, and other letters, how he recognizes how um, on paper he's not worthy. He's not worthy of God's mercy, but God's mercy doesn't look at worthiness. Um, and, you know, I think for myself, as I was thinking about what has God's mercy looked like in my life, um, one of the first things I thought of was this song. It's called In Tenderness, and I think we've sung it a handful of times here. Um, and the first time I heard it was in a concert, actually a concert where King's Kaleidoscope, that band I mentioned, they were, they were also there. Um, but uh, the first time I really heard this song, uh, you know, I was kind of blown away, but the first time you hear a song, you very rarely are able to, like, really appreciate it. So uh, I think, like, a few days later, I was, like, at home, and I, you know, looked up the song I was listening to. I was just sitting on my couch, um, I don't know if my, I don't think my roommates were there. Um, I was just by myself. It's like dark and whatever. Um, and as I'm listening to the lyrics, especially the, like these two lines, I think are very representative of the kind of the power of this song. The first line of the first verse says, in tenderness, he sought me, weary and sick with sin. Um, 
And then the second, the first line of the second verse says, he died for me while I was sinning, needy and poor and blind. Um, and I'm not, I mean, I've become a little bit more, but I'm, I'm generally not a super like emotional, like crying type. But I was, I, I guess, surprised myself in some sense that I, I was sitting on my couch and I ended up just like coming to tears as I'm listening to this song and hearing what is being said. Um, because in some way, shape, or form, every, every person, every Christian can relate to this fact, to this realization that, wow, God sent his son and he died for me in the midst of my sin, not, well, not before I had turned away from my sin, not after I had turned away from my sin, but before I did. Um, and, you know, I, it, you know, I, like, you know, I'm just thinking about myself and, you know, the sins that I struggle with, my arrogance and my self-indulgence and my lack of discipline, all these things. I'm like, that does not deserve God's mercy. But then that just tells us that God's mercy is not based on merit. Um, you know, and, and, and like, like Paul's reflection on God's mercy, that I, I, I think he's, what he's saying, especially at the end of Romans 11, is that any Christian, when they do, or any person, when they think on the true nature of God's mercy, its power, um, its effect that it's had on their life, um, it's going to just naturally draw them to a, a place of, of genuine awe and gratitude. So I actually wanted to just read the end of Romans 11, the last four verses, because I really do think it's, uh, it's beautiful and it really helps us understand where, how Paul reflects on the mercies of God. Um, so starting at verse 30, 33, Paul says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So one last thing to observe from this, at a broad level from this passage is that Paul actually gives us one promised outcome from all, all this instruction. And that's being able to discern the will of God. Being able to understand God's will. Um, and I don't know if some people, I, I would think some people might be able to really relate with this, but, you know, for the first, I would say, three, four years of, like, taking my faith seriously and walking with God, I, I had this subconscious fear that the more I got to know God and, like, learn the Bible and things like that, that I would stumble across something that would make me disbelieve in Him, something about His nature, something about just the way the world works that would make me feel like this, like this God is either untrue or, or unreal or, you know, just not true to what he says he's true to. Um, and, you know, I, 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 can, I can genuinely say now um, that I think the longer, the more I pressed into, you know, the questions, the things that were, that, that might be sources of doubt and, and fear, um, the more God has shown himself to be true and good, um, that, his, that his character just intrinsically is always good, um, and that his plan for, for me, for, for y'all, for the world, that's, that's always good, um, in, in the, in, at least, at the very least, in the eternal scheme of things, if not in the me- immediate moment, too, um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's the, what, what Paul is promising here, if we were to follow his appeals and his exhortations, is that we'd be able to understand God's will better, and I think I'd like to think that most people would be totally down for that. They'd be excited at that, that promise, I guess. Um, 
So now I actually want to focus in now on this one specific part of verse 1 where Paul says, um, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, um, which is your spiritual worship. Um, and so I, think, I just kind of want to work linearly through this, this whole statement that he's made. Um, and the first thing being, like, what is a body? Or what is, yeah, what is our body? And that might seem like an obvious question. Um, but I think uh, for me it's helpful to remember that what he's referring to is kind of this holistic idea of uh, our being. Um, so, of course, there's our physical body, our, our hands and our feet, you know, the things that, enable, that we can see and, and do things with. But then there's our, our mind and our heart uh, and our soul. Um, and those are all components of our very being, our whole body that God has given us. Um, and and it, it's all, also helpful to realize that all, those, all these elements of our, of our being, they embody everything about us in a way. They embody our, our personality, um, our, our thoughts, our dreams, our affections, uh, our presence, our, our, our efforts. Um, so then... So then Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So then sacrifice, I mean, I'm sure most people have a decent, like, working definition of that as well. Um, but I think a simple definition is sacrifice is, is anything given up for, this, for the benefit of another. Um, and so, I mean, an obvious implication of that is that it's, sacrifice is intrinsically costly to the one making the sacrifice. Um, and then, not only that, but Paul is calling them to be living sacrifices. And I think living is a very intentional and important word to, to, to recognize and kind of hone in on, um, because he's talking to people, both the Jews and the Gentiles, they're familiar with sacrifice as worship, but they are familiar with animal sacrifice as worship. And for the Jews, for any one family, that was a once-a-year deal. During Passover, you sacrifice a lamb, Right? Um, and even for the Gentiles, different pagan religions, you know, non-Christian religions, they were also familiar with animal sacrifice. You slaughter an animal in a temple, burn it, you know, whatever it is that's uh, entailed with those practices. Um, but I, so I think it's important to recognize that living sacrifice, it contrasts to all the sacrifice that, these, that his audience would have thought of normally, um, in that a living sacrifice is a constant state of being, it's not just any one, like an annual act like the Jews did at Passover. It's not even just weekly like we do on Sundays. Um, it's, and it's, I would say it's even more than daily. It is this whole state of being, um, this living sacrifice. Um, and on top of that, he describes the living sacrifice as holy and acceptable to God. Um, and I think, just, just quickly, holy, I'm, I think there's kind of like a lot of confusion about what that might mean. But I think, honestly, a, a general idea of what holiness is is when something is distinctly recognizable as God's, as godly. Um, so for God's people to be holy, it's, it's they, they are living lives that are loving and righteous as God is loving and righteous. Um, and then acceptable, I think that translation kind of, to me, undersells what is being communicated here because acceptable kind of seems like it's just barely, you know, like passing muster. But I think another translation of the Greek word that gets that acceptable comes from is pleasing. So something that God finds deep pleasure in is, is when we give ourselves um, wholly and fully um, in joy, not out of, you know, some, some guilt or compulsion or fear, but truly in joy and, and, and awe and gratitude for who he is. Um, so then the last kind of main segment of this whole clause is worship. 
what, what is worship? Um, so the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and uh, spiritual worship is translated from this Greek phrase, logikos latreia, which you don't have to remember that. It's not super critical. Um, but I want to point out a few things about that. So in the, in the New Testament, there's two common Greek words that get translated as worship. And the one that's not used here has to do with, like, the literal act of, like, getting on your knees and, you know, like this, this whole deal, right? Like bowing before, a, you know, a king, a lord, someone that you, that is worthy. Um, but, and so that's like this, this momentary act, right? But the word latreia, which is translated as worship, um, it refers to actually deeds and actions of service that reflect a heart of adoration. Um, and so on, and then on top of that, it's, latreia is modified with this word logikos, which if you look at the way it's spelled, it's, it, it's literally um, where we get the word logical from. So other translations will translate logikos as actually reasonable. Um, and so I think what Paul is implying here by sp- very specifically and intentionally choosing the words that he chose here for spiritual worship, logikos latreia, I think what he's, what he's implying is that the only reasonable response to who God is is a life lived in worship to him. Um, you know, again, like this, this very state of being that is devoted unto him. Um, and I think in a kind of a, a relevance, kind of contemporary implication for us, in the, especially on like a Sunday setting, is that um, worship is not solely music. There is zero mention of music in this passage. Um, I, like, I, I guess one clarifier is that this, this, these two verses, this, especially the first verse, has been extremely influential in, I guess, my growth as a Christian, but also my kind of maturation as a worship leader and changing my understanding of what God sees worship to be. Um, and so, anyway, um, you know, I, I was kind of doing this kind of, I guess, like a, a thought exercise. Um, we normally sing about four or five songs on a Sunday, which at most amounts to 20 minutes, I would say, roughly, give or take, right? Um, and I did the math, and if, you know, because a lot of Christians do, when they hear worship, they just think music. Um, if you were to, if, if I were to think of worship solely as the music I sing to God, aka 20 minutes a week, that equates to 0.2% of any given week. That's And to clarify, that's one-fifth of a single percent of my week. I counted. There's 10,080 minutes in a week. So if 20 minutes of our week is devoted, if we only view 20 minutes of our week as worship to God, then our God is a really small God, (laughs) Um, just plain and simple. Um, And I want to, I guess, caveat that by saying I'm not trying to poo-poo music because obviously I love music. Very much what I do is very Um, music-oriented. And in fact, you know, in, in, in the Bible, God specifically instructs uh, Christians on the value of music. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So clearly, there's nothing wrong with music. And, and music is very much this unique kind of, I would say, blessing that God has given us to offer worship up to him. Um, but at the same time, God is clearly worthy of so much more than a few songs one day a week. Um, so I would say that overall, the bottom line of this, this, these two passages, especially that, that, that this phrase, present your bodies, living sacrifice, spiritual worship, the bottom line of that is that 
as we live out every part of our being in total devotion and alignment to God, we will become more like Jesus. We will be transformed, and we will understand God's will more and more. So then I think that begs the question, what does that actually practically look like? Especially here and now, where we don't have all this, you know, kind of like context of animal sacrifice and this, that, and the other. Um, you know, and I, as I was studying, I, you know, I used to think that verse 2 of this passage was really unrelated to verse 1. I was like, why is he saying this? Um, but as I was preparing and studying this passage, you know, one thing that I'm grateful to have, for God to have shown me is that verse 2, especially the, the, the exhortations of do not be conformed but be transformed, those are actually expressions of worship. Those are the latreia, the actions of worship that Paul is instructing Christians to do. Um, and so I want to kind of like analyze both conformity and transforming. Um, so when, when he's saying conformity to the world, I think what he's saying is um, we should not invest our, ourselves the same way every other person does. Um, specifically in our context, with our time and our money and our, what I would call presence, both our physical presence and our kind of emotional presence. Um, and the reason I say that is because, again, for, for, the, for the Jewish and the, Gen, the, the Jews and the Gentiles back then, the, the animals that they were called to sacrifice, um, it's hard to, for us to real appreciate how important those were to them. They were mostly in agrarian agricultural societies. So to sac they had to sacrifice not, not like an old sick animal or like a newborn, but like a young, healthy sheep. That, and that's like, there's a lot of resources to be found in a young, healthy sheep, just plain and simple. Um, and so I think obviously we're not the same way, at least living in the middle of Houston, right? Um, most of us don't depend on sheep and chickens and whatnot um, the same way that they did. But for us, we do depend very much on our time and our money and our presence. Um, and so, you know, one thing as I'm thinking about this is it's, it's honestly much more, it's easier to spend on yourself, to, in, to spend those things and invest those things in yourself, your loved ones, your friends. Um, and that's not a bad thing. But what is like the motive behind that? What is, what is the motivation driving us to invest our time and our money, our presence where we do? Um, you know, I, I would argue that fundamentally our motivation should be for God. Whatever we invest in, whatever we uh, place ourselves into and involve ourselves with, it should be for God. Um, and, you know, what I, what I've, as I was thinking about it, you know, things like work, rest, um, and relationships, those are all things that everyone has, you know, Christians, not Christian alike, but the motivation behind those can often be very different. And I would say for work, for example, you know, most people, you know, are, you know, people, it's good that they're productive, but they often, you know, will even overwork themselves because they're seeking financial security and or some sort of, like, recognition, right, Act, whether it's internal or from others. Um, and I think what God calls his people to is that we work diligently because that's, that it reflects his nature, and it's something specifically that he's just called us to. He just wants us to work diligently at what he's given us. Um, reflection of stewarding the blessings he's given us. When it comes to like our rest and our, and our play, you know, our recreation, um, instead of just simply pursuing the very base selfish pleasure, um, we should be 
we should be enjoying those things out of gratitude. So whether it's vacation or you know some hobby you have, um, uh, any sort of experience you you know like going to concerts or you know eating good food, those should be enjoyed, but enjoyed because we recognize that God is the giver. He is the one who gives those things to us freely, um, and he wants us to enjoy them. It's not, we shouldn't be pursuing it just so that we can feel good about it, you know? Um, and then relationships. Um, I think it's really easy to pursue both friendships um, and depend on family and seek romance because we're, we're, we're seeking security and we're seeking affirmation. Um, and I, I truly do believe that the truest and the most lasting security and affirmation can only be found in God himself. Um, and he wants us to, to seek those things from him. But it's so much easier for us to go and pursue, you know, whatever it might be, relationally speaking, to pursue those things because we feel that need and it's much like more immediate, it's much more tangible when we see another person instead of seeing God. Um, so, yeah, bottom line, with, with when it comes to do not be conformed, I think one thing is really, it, it, it may not look super different all the time. I mean, there's certain things where God is very black and white, like just don't do that thing. But a lot more of the time, it's why are you doing the thing you do? Um, so then looking at the flip side of this, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Um, and so I think a, a simple implication of this is that Paul is, is saying, be transformed to be more, more and more like Jesus. Uh, there's other parts in, in the New Testament where um, I think it's Hebrews, uh, conform to the image of his son, the image of Christ. Um, you know, and what, what's said explicitly in this passage is that that transformation, that renewal, um, is a ch or sorry, that, yeah, the transformation is achieved in part by renewal of the mind. Um, I think one thing is the renewal of the mind is a kind of a both and. It's both our own kind of investment, our own intentionality in seeking renewal of our minds, and more so the Holy Spirit um, actually renewing our mind. That, you know, something, I guess, out of our hands in a way. Um, and I think it's important to clarify this in case anyone hasn't heard this before, but if you, if you consider Jesus to be Lord of your life and that he's your Savior, then the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit of God, he dwells in you. Um, and there's literally, you know, countless number of implications to that, and you could spend countless sermons on that. Obviously, you don't have the time to do that. But for the sake of, of you know, of this text, um, this application, what, what's important to realize about the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in each of us um, is that as we're reading God's Word, um, the Holy Spirit will expand our understanding and our wisdom um, of godly things, and at the same time expose where our thoughts and where our, our values, our beliefs are, are selfish or sinful. Um, and then additionally, in the context of community, the Holy Spirit will speak through one another. We all have the Holy Spirit individually and collectively as a body of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit will speak to us and do things like renew our minds as, as, um, as fellow you know, brothers and sisters will speak wisdom and correction and, and encouragement um, in any given situation. Um, and so I, th I guess that's kind of like an opportunity to, to essentially plug things like transformation groups. Like I, I fundamentally believe that you cannot live a Christian life outside of Christian community. Um, and you know, I, I'm grateful because I feel like pretty much everyone here that I know, like I know you're part of a group and so that's exciting. 
um, and that's encouraging. Um, but yeah, in case you're not, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe, you know, yeah, I just want to encourage you, like, there is something you cannot have and get on your own, as even though you so earnestly desire to follow God. Um, so yeah, um, you know, bottom line about this transformation is, you know, as we are transformed and tested, right, Paul also t- mentions that, we will better understand God's will as we stray from conforming to the patterns of the world and as we become transformed into the, more and more into the image of Christ, we will have this deeper, more profound and, and, and comforting sense of, of understanding of God's will. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if anyone kind of keyed in on this, but really all of Paul's instruction is assuming that we believe God is worthy, that God is worthy of everything. Um, and that's honestly an assumption that is not true of maybe everybody in this room. Um, and there's no shame if you, don't, if you don't feel that, if you don't believe that, that, if, that you don't believe that God is worthy of everything. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it's, it's not something that, you know, like you wake up one morning and you're just like, oh yeah, I'll give God everything, you know, if, if, you've, not, if you've not gotten to know him. Um, and so I, I really want to in, invite you, if you aren't in that place right now of thinking, yeah, God is worthy of everything from my life. If you're not in that place right now, I want to encourage you um, to, to learn more about him, to, to begin that journey of knowing him. And I think if you're here, you're probably somewhere on that journey. Um, but to begin learning more about him. And, and a very easy way to do that is to just ask questions and observe the way uh, a friend you have, if you, if you have any Christian friends, how they live their life. Why they, you can ask them, why do you do the things you do? Um, and... Yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I, I don't want to, I guess, make any, make any promises I can't keep, but it's ultimately a promise I can't keep to begin with. But, you know, I do think that if you earnestly are, are just constantly pursuing uh, to know God, I, I do believe he meets you um, and that you will come to the conclusion that he is worthy of everything. Um, and, okay, so if you're, if you're a person in here that already believes that God is worthy of your whole life, if you consider him to be the Lord of your life, um, you know, I, I'd like you to ask yourself this, how compartmentalized is my life? Am I consciously or subconsciously keeping something from him? Um, you know, and, and that, those are very, like, nebulous questions in a sense, but I think some helpful diagnostic questions to help answer these bigger questions is, you know, like, what are your life goals? And how, how do they align or misalign with God's will for all his people? You know, he gives the great commandments, love, love him, love others, and then to make followers of him. Those, are, I would say, argue universally for all Christians, that's what all Christians are called to. That is his will for his people. Um, so how do your life goals align with that? How do, your, how, do, how do you spend your expendable income? How do you spend your free time? How do you spend your presence? How do you invest your presence? Um, and I think the answers to those questions will help you begin to, to see, okay, maybe unintentionally, maybe unintentionally, I've been keeping this thing from God, whether that's this hobby right here or this friendship over here, right? Um, you know, I, I think if there's one thing I want everyone here to leave with, it's, it's this, that God is worthy of every part of our being. So let us continuously encourage one another, um, ourselves and one another, to live for him and to him 
with every part of our being. And this will be our true spiritual worship. Uh, let's pray. Father, um, I thank you that your mercies, your grace, your power, your wisdom, your justice, I thank you that all of that makes you worthy, worthy beyond compare, worthy beyond our comprehension, worthy, be, worthy beyond our ability, God. Um, I thank you that in, in your worthiness, you sought fit to, to extend mercy and grace to each of us, God, um, through your Son, through the blessings that we are both aware of and unaware of, God. Um, God, I pray that if there's anyone here who, who doesn't see you in, in that light right now, God, I pray that you would be meeting them as they ask questions. I pray that you would um, invite them, God, um, that they would be genuinely seeking to find an answer to all the longings in their heart um, and, and realize that all those longings can be met in you. Um, God, and I pray for us in this room who, who do consider you uh, our, our Lord, God, um, I pray that you would constantly be reminding us and, and pointing out to us the places where we are, are shunting things away from our life devoted to you. Um, of course, this entire life is going to be a challenge to, to give everything to you, God, but I pray that um, we would help one another do it, that by your spirit, um, that you would be leading that way um, and that we would trust you to bring it to completion um, to the day we join you, God once again. Um, so I just thank you for your word that you speak so clearly into this, that you give us an invitation and, and practical instruction. Um, I pray that we would not be quick to, for, to, quick to forget it, God, um, but that we would remember it in our hearts and our minds, God. Um, so God, I just thank you for this opportunity, and I, I pray that um, your truth and, and your, your wisdom, your goodness uh, will be the thing that's remembered, God. Um, so I just thank you for this time and pray these things in the name of your son. Amen.